we bow down to worship. And so we should, you know, we're talking about who God is. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? Who is God? What, what can we know about him? We can certainly study his attributes and get an idea of who he is. But they tell us if we know the attributes or character qualities of God and you put them all together, we still don't have any idea of who he really is because he is so amazing. And he is so big. And so we've been looking uh, at the names of God. The last two weeks we took off. Uh, we had uh, Corbin's ordination service. And then uh, he preached last week and took us through the book of James. And I don't know how many of you have studied James. James is a great book. And if you haven't read it lately, you need to go back and read it. But I would also encourage you to, to do some studies on who God is. We're studying his names. And uh, what are the names of God? We're primarily going back in the Old Testament. We use that word uh, God, G-O-D, that you find in Scripture. And it comes from a word in the Old Testament. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago. And it comes from a word El or Elohim. And we talked about that being a strong one and just the fact that God is all-powerful. There's nothing that's more powerful than God. This is the God that loves you. And this is the God that loves me, and this is the God that is there for us, and he is all-powerful. We call him omnipotent. That's one of his character qualities, his attributes. There's nothing more powerful than him. He created all things. The second word we looked at was the word Adonai, and if you look in the Old Testament, that is spelled Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, and it means Lord or Master, and God is our Lord. He is our Master. He is sovereign over all things. Nothing takes part uh, or takes place apart from his will and his allowing it to, and we need to understand that about Adonai, about the Lord. And then last week, or I guess three weeks ago, uh, get it there, we began that, that study of the, the word L-O-R-D, all in capital letters. And it's interesting, since I've been doing this study again and going back through it, I've done it before, but going back through it and looking at these words I will come to them as I'm reading my scripture, and I will insert. What does that mean? And it's, it's kind of enhancing how I'm reading the Bible right now. Because when I come to God, I say the strong one, the powerful one, the omnipotent one. And, and I'll place that in my reading, or I come to Lord with a lowercase o-r-d, and I think, wow, he's the master. He is my Lord. Uh, you know, when, when uh, Thomas saw Jesus after his resurrection... And he said, my Lord and my Savior. It, 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 we oftentimes want to become Christians because we want a Savior, but we forget that when we become Christians, we also accept a Lord. And he becomes our Lord. And we need to understand that. And then today we want to go on with this idea of uh, capital L-O-R-D. And you see that all through the Old Testament, it's speaking of uh, what we call Yahweh, uh, the old word there, kind of a made-up word a little bit, with Jehovah. But there's nothing wrong with that. If that's the term you use, know what you're talking about. That's the basic thing we need to know right now is understanding that. But um, there were compounds. For instance, they would take and they would kind of give a title. For instance, one of the compounds we've heard is uh, El Shaddai. How many of you have ever heard that term, El Shaddai? All right, number of you. That comes from the Hebrew, and, it, and it's, it's the idea we usually translate it God Almighty. God Almighty, you're going to go into the Scripture and you're going to see that. And it probably comes from that El Shaddai. Well, I'm not looking at many compounds with Elohim or El, but Yahweh, uh, it said that was his, his uh, memorial name. 
That's his name. And when we look at God, we, we get that. You remember there were the four letters, and then we put the vowel points, and we get Yahweh out of that. It is uh, I am, or he is, if you take it in the third person. And, and, and it's the idea that uh, he was, he is, he will be. I was, I am, I will be. We look at that. That's a little English lesson along with the Hebrew, uh, getting those verb tenses down. But it's, it's important to realize that he is the uh, self-sufficient one. God relies on no one or nothing else for his existence. He was never created like everything else in the world. He has existed through all time. He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody else. But it doesn't mean he doesn't love us, because he does. And he cares about his creation and how important it is. So this morning I want to go on and I want to talk about another one of those terms uh, that we sometimes hear about in Christian circles, and it, it usually was with Jehovah. And uh, we will use Yahweh today, but, but Jehovah Jireh, how many of you have heard that? Yeah, we've heard that term, and it simply means uh, the Lord who provides. He's a great provider. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 22 this morning. And we're going to look at that, that passage where it talks about when God came to Abraham, and this is where the term really set in. And he came to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son, and I want you to go three days' journey out there into the wilderness, and you're going to go up on this mountain, and you're going to sacrifice him to me. Wow. Does that sound logical? How many of you would feel comfortable in taking your child out and putting him on an altar with a bunch of wood on top of it and driving a knife into his heart. And there's a real question of which do you love more? Do you love that child that God gave you or do you love God? Which is more important? And that was a question that Abraham had to ask. Which is more important to me? Who do I love more? Now, I'm not expecting God to come and say to any one of you, in fact, if you come to me today and you say, God has told me to go out and sacrifice my son, I'll say, let's think about that a little bit. Because I don't believe God's going to have you do that. But with Abraham, it was an important thing that he understood where he was. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want to read it to you, and then we're going to come back and look at it. Think about if God is our provider, and that's what Abraham said. He was the provider. It's a provider. Uh, we're going to see where Isaac asked him, Lord, where's the lamb to sacrifice? He said, oh, God will provide God will provide. And ultimately, he did. Ultimately, that's exactly what he did. But, you know, when you think about that, God is your provider. What, what does God expect of us? I think it's very easy to think of what we expect of God over here, but what does God expect of us? We like to kind of see it's all God, but somewhere along the line, God says, this is what I want from you. And we have to go back and say, what is that? And what does God expect of me? if I'm going to see God as my great provider. So let me read this passage to you in Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read down through, I believe, the uh, 19th verse. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Boy, we all go through tests, don't we? We just don't realize it a lot of times. We think, Man, this is a hard, difficult time in my life. I'm sure struggling. And God's saying, Are you trusting me? Are you putting your faith in me? Now God, 
Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, that is Abraham, said, here I am. And he said, God said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, that's Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled the donkey, he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to the young men, the two that were with them, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. (laughs) I've always thought that's kind of interesting. I'm going to take you up, and I'm going to put you on a fire. Would you please carry the wood? And he took the wood and the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son, and he took it in his hand, or took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them walked on together. I want you, for just a moment, as we're reading through this, to put yourself in Abraham's place. How would you feel as your son asked that question? And you know that God has said, I want your son to be the lamb. I want your son to be the lamb. Now I want you to take it a bit farther. And realize that God sent his son to be the lamb for us. He was really a type of Jesus Christ. It's a relationship that we see here. They walked on together. In verse 9, they came to the place for which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there, and he arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son, but... But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham raised his eyes and he looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered him on up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, here it is, Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore. Your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men 
and they rose, and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So God is our provider. What are the two things that we see in this passage that were really important for Abraham to do? What were the two issues? Because we're going to look at that this morning. That's really where we're going. Number one is Abraham needed faith in God to be able to do that. God had promised him, this is your son. When, when Isaac was born, he said, he is going to be your heir, and, and all of your heirs will come through him, and there's going to be nations, and great nation and the nations of the world will be blessed through his heirs. And, and yet now God's saying, I want you to take him, and, and, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And that really had to take a lot of faith. How's God going to do this? How can God take my son? Can I trust him? And the second thing that goes along with faith is our obedience to that faith. It doesn't do any good to believe God's going to do something if we're not obedient in our actions. And so there was faith and obedience. There was faith and response. And without it, oftentimes, as we're going to see today, God does not respond and meet our needs and care for us as we would desire. And so I believe the very first thing we need is to develop a faith that God is faithful who will meet the needs of our lives. He is the provider. Let me read 1 and 2 again, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. To test is to prove, to show that he's real, to demonstrate that. He tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And, uh, you know, I just thought, wow, what a test that would be. What a request of Abraham. How, how hard that would have been for Abraham. I, I think I would have been saying, Lord, did I hear you right? You want, to, you want to repeat that, Lord? I'm not sure I got that. You want me to take my son, my only son, the son of my, that I love so much, the son that, yeah, I've got another son over here, but, but this is Sarah's son. This is the son of your promise, and you want me to take him and do what? And we all go through tests. We all have them. We all go through things, and we go, Lord, why am I going through this? What's taking place? What, what, what am I getting out of there? Uh, this. In, in fact, if there was no difficulty in life, if there were no testing in our life and testing of our faith, we probably wouldn't think we need God because everything's perfect. It's great. Why do I need God? I, I love what's going on right now. And yet God tested Abraham, and he does bring those tests on us. And I believe that whenever we have a need and we have to trust God, it's really that kind of test. And we go through them all the time. It's just that we don't recognize them very often. We just recognize them as life's kind of difficult or it's a little bit hard today or things are tight. I, I, I have to believe in God for my finances. I have to believe in God because I look at what my kids are doing or my grandkids and, and I'm just not sure where they are. And Lord, do I really trust you with them? Maybe I should straighten them out. But they're gods. We have responsibilities in terms of how we raise them, but they're gods. I, uh, I've often wondered 
what I would do if I was under great persecution? How would I respond? Would, would, would I be strong for the Lord or would I give in a little bit, not say much and just kind of hang back? That's a real question. Kids and young people deal with it all the time when they walk into our schools. And somebody makes fun of them because of their faith. Or you can't believe. you got to be kidding me. You believe that? And they undergo persecution. And it's really a test for how strong they are. I remember, uh, talked about it before, but it, it was so vivid in my mind. We had this beautiful big tree. Huge, huge big tree in our front yard in Portland when I was in seminary. And Darlene and I would go and we had to... Man, our yard was so great. We didn't make it that way, but it was that way. It had azaleas and uh, camellias and dogwood and just all these beautiful flowers and this beautiful big tree. And we were out on the east side of Portland and an ice storm came one year. And the rain came down and there was like two to three inches of ice coating every one of those limbs. And we lay there at night and we heard the popping and the cracking as that tree was in many ways torn apart by the pressure of the ice storm. You go out on the coast, and I've talked about this, how you can go out on a bluff and you look at this gnarly little redwood out there, that little pine tree, and the, the winds have buffeted and blown against it, and it stands strong and it doesn't break because it's faced the hard times. And that's the way we are. Consider it all joy, my brother, the Bible says, when you encounter these various trials, these struggles in James chapter 1, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It makes you strong. Abraham was going through that. How much did he really trust God? And we as Christians have to ask ourselves that. It's interesting when you think of the faith of God working in our lives and, and the Bible is very clear in many passages, especially as we get into the New Testament, that without faith, uh, God doesn't act. Am I going to say he can't? No, because God can do anything. He's all-powerful. We've already talked about Elohim, that there's nothing that's impossible for him. But he does not respond oftentimes without faith. Uh, I think back to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, Jesus was out and he'd come to his, his hometown. And in verses 5 through 8, well, it's not Matthew 13, 54 to 58. I'll get that. 13, 54 to 58. He'd come to his own hometown. And in verse 54, it says, he came to the hometown and he began teaching them in the synagogue. And this was up, I'm sure, where he was born. And... Uh, the area of Galilee, and he was probably up there, and, and it says uh, he was teaching them in their synagogues so that they were astonished, and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? So they understood there was wisdom, there was miraculous go things going on. It says, isn't this a carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? You ever wonder if Jesus had brothers? There it is, there's four of them. It goes on and it talks about his sisters. His sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him, but Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his 
own hometown and his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. They lacked faith. You know, there were people that were sick. There were people that were lame. There were people that were struggling with different areas, problems in that area where he had grown up, Nazareth. And yet, because of the fact that they didn't believe in Jesus, they, they couldn't accept that this one who had grown up in their midst could possibly be the Son of God. And Jesus didn't act there. And so when we look at that, we begin to understand our need for faith. Faith is believing that God can and will do what he says. It says in the book of Hebrews, it's impossible to please God unless we have faith, unless we believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of people that seek him. And so we have to have that kind of faith. The other times when Jesus healed, he would, he would come to him, and you probably remember individuals, and he would say, your faith has made you well. Well, it wasn't their faith. It was the power of God, but God... Jesus, responding to their faith, saw them healed and lifted up. And in the same way, we need to come to God with faith today. And if we fail to do that, we often fail to experience the power of God in our lives. It's just not there because we're not responding. Well, faith is essential to seeing God work in our lives and in our nation and amongst our people. And uh, I thought about Abraham's faith. And there were three things uh, that I thought that Abraham had to overcome. Three things that were issues, they, they don't name them, but they're alluded to, I think. And uh, we would think of that. And the first thing would be logic. How many of you are logical? Yeah. And you would stop and say, now, Lord, this just, this just isn't logical that I would take my son out there and slay him on an altar. That's, that's not a realistic thing to do, Lord. And this is the son that you've made a pledge to me about, and I couldn't do that. It's just not logical. And a lot of people are very logical to the point where they fail to have faith. They try to... Uh, think through the Bible and kind of change it to fit into what they believe or they think instead of what the Bible says. Sometimes we get a little too logical. And uh, I tend to be a person that's more logical, but that, that can be a problem at times in terms of our faith. There's a second thing that I think Abraham had to deal with, and that was relationships. How many of you love your kids? Some of you are thinking about it. If someone came to you and said, I want your child today, give him to me. I, I want to take your child out and, and, and I want to see your child killed. Give him to me. How many of you would do that? Yeah. We wouldn't want to do that. And yet, what did God ask Abraham to do? Take this son that you love, this, this boy of your old age, Abraham, phew, you were about 100 years old when he was born. Wow, that's a miraculous in itself. Take him out and kill him, Abraham. Give him to me. That's hard. You know, we, uh, we practice baby dedications here. We don't have infant baptisms. We have baby dedications. But it's when a parent comes and and then they bring this child forward before the congregation and say, this is my child, God gave me this child, and I'm giving it back to God. Whatever God wants to do, that's fine. 
that's okay with me because he's God's. But how do we feel when that child's gone, when they're an infant and they die, or 10 or 12 or even 15 and into their teens? What do we say to God? It's okay? Or do we say, why God? I don't understand that. It hurts so much. For most of us, God doesn't do that, thank goodness. In fact, I think very often we blame God for things that he did not cause. He allowed, but he did not cause it. We live in an imperfect world. The person yesterday was asking me about a scene he had seen on on television of a child that had lost its eyes and was crying out in a war zone, wanting to see and... He said, why did that happen? How could that happen? And all I could say is we live in an imperfect world where sin affects the world in which we live. But here was Abraham, and God was asking for his child, and and he said, Abraham, will you give him? Do you trust me enough? I think a parent should say, I'm going to give my child, and then he becomes a, a pastor and moves across the continental United States. Why did they have to go so far away? God, couldn't you have him be a pastor right here? Why did he have to move someplace else? Or why did he have to become a missionary? I remember a couple, both their daughters had married men that were going to seminary with me, and both husbands were going as missionaries to, to, uh, to Europe. And the parents were going, why are my daughters going so far away? You see, he had to deal with that. I, I think another thing that he had to deal with was uh, just the idea of, of his own goals. His own goals. God had said to him, this is, this is your son. This is the son I'm giving you. All of this line is going to come for you. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Your, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky and like the sand of the seashore. And, and all of his dreams and aspirations, why he had left Ur the Chaldees to come to Palestine, why, why would God do that? that? That was his dream. And if Isaac was gone, how would that be fulfilled Human affections. Abraham had to deal with all those things and decide, will I do what God asked me to do or am I going to do what I want? And he demonstrated his faith in obedience. And when we're uh, entering into a difficult situation and things are hard, I think the first thing that arises in terms of our relationship with God, if we're looking for God to meet the need and need to, that he'll care for us and, and meet the needs of our lives, is number one, we need to have faith, and number two, we need to act in obedience. Whatever you ask, Lord, whatever you require of me, that's what I'm going to do. And sometimes you may say, this doesn't feel real good. Be available. Here I am. Our tendency is to, to, when we're going through something, and it may be financial, it may have to do with physical health, it may have to do with loss of something very dear to us, is to question God. What am I supposed to learn out of this? What, what do you want me to learn? And it comes back to where we're worried about ourselves. What does God want me to get instead of what is going to glorify God out of this? What am I going to learn? 
I think a better statement would be, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you desire from me today? Let me share something with you. If you're doing what God wants you to do, if you're doing what God wants you to do, I think you'll learn what God wants you to learn. It's going to be there. It's just the most natural thing in the world. It comes out of it. But when we fail to do what God wants us to do, we really don't learn that much. We don't gain what we need to gain. And so as men of God have continually been called of God to do his work, they have responded in, in a positive way. They set an example for us. I, I want to just look at a couple of them this morning. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through, uh, we're going to read down through about 8. And it says, in the king year of King Uzziah's death. Now, this really doesn't, this has to do with Isaiah. It's nothing to do with King Uzziah except it sets a date, it sets a time. It says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He was lofty and exalted in the train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having wings. With two, they covered their face. They wouldn't even look upon God, even though they were in the throne room of God to worship him. With two, they covered their feet. They didn't touch down on the floor of the throne room. And with two, they flew. And one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What a, what a beautiful picture here. And I would imagine that just reverberated throughout that throne room, how big it is. I don't know what it's like, but I can picture them calling back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, here's Isaiah, he's this mere individual in the throne room of God, and he says, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. Do you ever wonder what angels look like? Seraphim had three sets of wings. And they had hands, and, and they flew, and they carried things. One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity has been taken away, and your sin has been forgiven. He was purified, in essence. And then in verse 8, listen to how he responds. Here it is. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. That's the response. God, what do you want me to do? Here am I. Send me. God, what do you want to take place in my life? Here am I. Send me. We go back to uh, the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, and we see the call of the disciples. Verses 16 to 18, it says, As he, that is Jesus, was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and they were casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. Didn't take any time. They just, I don't know if they even folded him up, just kind of threw him on the seashore maybe and followed him. 
They left their job. They left their vocation. They left what they'd been doing. How easy is it to do that? Not very easy, is it? That's your security. That's how your income's coming in. And if God calls you to leave that, how, how difficult must that be? And yet that's exactly what they did. You go back to Acts chapter 9. We see the uh, call of, of Saul at that time, and he later became Paul. That's what we know him by. And in verses 3 through 6, he was going to Damascus because at that time he was persecuting Christians. He was trying to destroy that new church. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And Saul's life was totally changed, and he got up, and he ceased to chase after others and he followed after the Lord, and today we have the great deal of the New Testament was written by him and about him. Father of much of Christianity, it's amazing. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 22. And I want to read to you from verses 3 through 10. It says, Abraham rose early in the morning. He'd, he'd already been told by God he was what he was to do, and he responded immediately. He didn't sit and argue. He didn't say, I can't do that, Lord. It's not right. Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and they split wood for the burnt offering and they arose and they went to the place where God had told them. And on the third day Abraham raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance and Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. And he said, My father. And he said, Well, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there, and he ranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I think of how trusting Isaac must have been to allow his father to do that. I think if my father had tried to do that, I would have put up a fight. He totally trusted his dad. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. You know, I just thought about all of those things that Abraham did before they got there. It would have been so easy at any time for Abraham to say, God, I'm not going to do this. He went out, he saddled the donkey, he found two young men to go with him. They split the wood, they traveled that journey for three days, they climbed the mountain, they built an altar, they laid the wood on the altar, then Abraham laid his son on the altar, picked up the knife, ready to drive it into his son, and we find that an angel stopped him. But wouldn't it have been easy that full time to just say, I'm not going to do that, Lord. I've come this far, but no further. God was testing Abraham. He wanted to know Abraham's response. Back in Hebrews chapter 
uh, 11 is, is the great uh, chapter of faith. They call it the Hall of Faith, kind of like the Hall of Fame. These great individuals from the Old Testament. In verses 17 to 19, it talks about Abraham and, and this situation. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offered up, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And, and, and so it's the idea that he believed that if God had promised him that Isaac was the one that was going to be the heir, then God would just have to raise him from the dead if he died. What might God be calling you to do today? What is, what is God laying out before you? What will it cost? Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ. And he's simply calling you into a relationship with him. It simply means you come by faith. You say, well, Andy, what will it cost me? What am I going to have to give up? At this point, nothing. Because we come by faith. Now, does that mean God's going to leave us where we are? No. There's changes and transformation. We receive him as Savior and Lord, not simply as Savior. But you may be here today, and, and that's what God's laying on your heart. Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Has it made a difference in who you are? Is it a reality? And today, you simply need to say, okay, Lord, today I'll do that. Today, I'll make that difference in my life, and, and I'll come to you. It's a free gift. And somebody may say, well, what am I going to give up? And they, <laughs> I guess I'd say, what do you have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. God's a provider. He may call you to some area of service. Lord, I'm, I'm too busy. I, I've got a family. I've got to spend time with my family. And I've got work. And I've got to build my job. And I've got to build the clientele. And I've got to... Do this and do that, and how can I get involved in that area of ministry? I have to guard these things. But you want to know something? If you say yes to God, God will bless you, possibly if you're still in the ministry or in that business, in your business. I really believe that. But how can we expect him to bless us when we say no? How does God want us to be used? What, what is he calling us to? What is he calling us to in our neighborhood and our relationships with our neighbors and the people who live around us? It may be your relationship with your spouse that God's calling you to change. Because maybe you're not the husband or wife you should be right now. Lord, I don't want to give up my power and my authority and my position and and God says, but yeah, but you need to submit into that relationship when you're struggling with it. God can't bless your marriage if you don't. God's a provider, but we respond in faith and obedience. What about your relationship with your kids? I love my kids, they're so great, but you know, I've got this going on and this going on and this going on. I really don't have too much time 
to spend with him. I can't make it to that event. I can't make it to that activity. And your kids are sitting back saying, my mom and dad really don't care if I come or not, if they come or not. What's God calling you to with your family? Abraham was willing to give up his son to do what God wanted him to do. And and I love it because he responded in obedience. And God responded to his obedience by supplying what was needed. And God loves you and he responds to your needs as well. The Lord provides, that's what it says here. Let me just read on very quickly. Verses 10 through 14, it says, Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and he said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, and he said, here I am. And he said, don't stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Let me ask you something. Do you think God already knew how Abraham was going to respond? I believe he did. If he's omniscient, he did. It's what the Bible says. But I'm not sure Abraham knew how he would respond. And he needed to know that. He needed to know who was more important. Was it being obedient to God or holding on to that which was so dear to him? Did he trust God to bring Isaac back and take care of Isaac? Did he trust God? Did he have faith? And then did he act in obedience? Or did he hold on and hold him away? When we respond in obedience, God responds to us. I, I really believe that. And, and I would ask you today, what is the need? What is the issue in your life? Have you responded positively to the opportunities that God's placed before you? So that's the question. How are you going to be responsive to the will of God? How am I going to be responsive to the things that God wants for me? And I'll tell you what, you'll have those questions all the rest of your life. What's God calling for me today? What's God want me to do today? How, how am I going to respond to him? The Bible says if we're responsive, then God meets our needs. Back in Philippians 4, 9, uh, Paul was going through some difficult times. He'd been in jail and the Philippians had sent him some money. And in, in, in chapter 4, verse 19, Paul made this statement Many of us know it. He says, my God will supply all of your needs. You've done this great thing for me. God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of glory, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, if you respond in a positive way, even though it may not be logical, even though it may be tough, God's going to respond. God's going to take care of us. He's promised that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's a great passage on giving. And uh, I want to start with verse 6. It says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. In other words, if you don't give a lot, don't expect a lot. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion, for God loves that cheerful giver. But God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you will always... Let me read it again. God is able to make... All grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Does God say he'll meet the needs? Yeah. 
God provides for his children. I want you to know that, but not unless we respond to him like we're supposed to. Faith, obedience. We open our lives to him. I think of Moses. Moses said, I can't go and go to Pharaoh. I can't talk. It's impossible. God provided. He says, I'll give you Aaron. Aaron will talk for you. Moses said, <laughs> all right, Moses said that Gideon, God called him to be a judge in Israel. He says, I can't lead. And God says, I'll make you a mighty warrior. And he defeated the Midianites. Samson, they have a movie coming over out, or it's just come out. And uh, he'd lost his eyesight. He'd lost his hair. He'd lost his strength. And he said, Lord, I need strength. And God gave him strength. Daniel prayed. And he was thrown into the lion's den. And he prayed. And God provided protection. You see, all through the... Bible, we see David fought Goliath and he had power to win in that battle and Peter was in prison and God freed him when they were praying. God is the one who provides. He demonstrates his provision time and time again and he still does today. Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. Let me go back and go to my passage again back here in the angel of the Lord called Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing. Because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand of the sea. And your seed will possess the gate of their enemies and your seed and, and, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have, here it is, obeyed my voice. You've obeyed my voice. And Abraham returned to his young man. Verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Yahweh Jireh. As it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord where he will provide. You want to know something? The same God that dealt with Abraham and Isaac is the God that deals with us. Because he is Yahweh, he is the great I am. Just as he was I am in the days of Abraham, he is the I am today. He doesn't change. And he still deals with us in the same way. He comes to us, he says, this is where I want you to be. And the question is, do we respond in obedience or don't we? Do we respond in faith or don't we? And if we respond in obedience, if we respond in faith, God blesses us. We so often want to come to pray. We haven't been paying much attention to God. We're not spending a lot of time in prayer. We're not spending a lot of time in the Bible. We've had opportunities to minister. But we're going through a hard time and we come to the Lord and say, take care of me, fix it, God. And we may wonder why he doesn't. But we haven't been responding in faith. And we haven't been responding in obedience. And so we come back. And we realize that there are areas in our lives. And I don't know about you. I've got some. But I just need to say, Lord, here it is. And I need to be in faith believing you're going to take care of this. And, and I need to continue on based on that in obedience to you. And God blesses when we do that. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. As you go home today, think about your life. Are there areas where 
God's called you to do something, and maybe you've said, I'm too busy, I've got too many things going on, I, I, my life is just so hectic right now, and Lord, I, later on, I'll, I'll get to it later on, I'll get to it when the kids are older, I'll get to it when I'm through with this job, I'll get to it when we work out this financial situation, or I'll get to it today, and God will provide. Trust him, have faith. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, wow, I, I think of Abraham, and, and the last thing I would have wanted to do was to be in Abraham's shoes. When I think of my daughter, my granddaughter, if you said, Andy, I want them. I want them right now. I want you to take them out and sacrifice them to me. I couldn't do it, Father. I'll admit that. I have a, I have a huge hard time with that. And it's very easy for love for people to get in the way of our love for you. But Father, you don't ask us to do anything that's too difficult. And even Abraham, it was a test of his faith. And he still had Isaac when it was over. And you are the God provided. You provided that ram to be a sacrifice instead of his son. And you're a loving God and you're a compassionate God. And you're a God who cares for us and cares about our needs and cares about the things going on in our lives. And you know that what's best for us is what you desire of us and what you desire for us. And Father, help us to be open to your leading. Help us to be open to your direction. And help us to always remember that our God is a strong God. That our God is a sovereign God. Everything in this universe takes place not outside of your will. But you are in control. You are the Lord. Help us to remember that our God is Yahweh, the self-existent one, the one that is eternal, the one with whom there was no beginning and there is no end, the one that is in unchanging. He is the same day after day after day that our God is the one who provides. Whatever it is, help us to realize that. Thank you, Father. We praise you for your greatness, for your goodness, for your love. Father, as we go away from here today, I pray that you might just Touch and encourage the lives of each person that's here this morning. Lift them up. Strengthen them, Father, uh, in whatever area of life they need to be strengthened. Bless them, Father. That would be my desire for each person here, that you would bless them in a very special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.